the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by the Federation for American Immigration Reform and George Rodriguez on 930 AM, The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. Welcome to the show, my friends, on this beautiful Saturday, November the 19th, 2022. Welcome. We've got a packed show as usual for you. Let me jump in real quick and tell you who they are. Uh, because there's uh, several items that I want to discuss with you uh, related to these folks that are going to be chatting with us. Uh, first of all, we've got uh, Mr. Brent Smith, who is the attorney for Kenny County. Brent, in my opinion, is the catalyst, is the guy that started off the uh, entire fight against the uh, invasion, and we're calling it now an invasion, at the border, um, where uh, he was the county attorney and he was dealing constantly with people uh, coming in and complaining about uh, illegal aliens crossing and destroying their property, as well as uh, all the criminal activity that was going on in his county. Now, um, Kenny County happens to be Brackettville, which is a small rural county. Well, actually, an area. It's a large rural county, uh, but it's uh, just it border. It's on the border, and uh, they have had a tremendous battle. They're on the front lines. Uh, with uh, the uh, issue of fentanyl and all of the illegal aliens coming coming across, so he's going to be our first guest. He's going to be giving us his assessment of uh, of the uh, election and what it means for uh, residents along the border. The battle against uh, the uh, invasion. Uh, you'll want to hear what Brent has to say. We also have Mr. Jose Salazar. Jose Salazar is a Webb County Republican activist in Laredo. And uh, he is, uh, he's a very good friend of mine. He's going to give us an assessment of what happened with the red wave in South Texas, my friends. Lots of us were so disappointed that, um, for example, Cassie Garcia lost and that Myra Flores lost. And uh, we were expecting a much bigger, a much bigger uh, uh, Republican uh, move in South Texas. And somehow it just didn't happen. So, um Jose Salazar is going to uh, is going to give us an analysis of what he thinks happened, what he has seen, and he hopes will change things in the future. Uh, then we've got Mr. Art del Cueto. Art del Cueto is the uh, vice president for the National Border Patrol Council. Uh, Art is uh, is a regular guest of ours. Art is going to be chatting with us about the insane politics that is going on in Washington D.C., my friends, with regards to the um, with regards to the border patrol chief. Uh, as we have uh, seen and heard over the past couple of weeks, there was a push by the Biden administration to fire to dismiss the uh, border patrol chief, the current border patrol chief, or who the who was then the current border patrol chief, uh, a guy named uh, for, a former police chief from Tucson named Magnus. And this guy Magnus turned out to be an absolute disaster, even by liberal Democrat standards. An absolute disaster. You want to hear uh, Art's take on that, as well as the uh, general morale of what is happening with with the Border Patrol agents, my friends. It's disgusting. It is absolutely tragic how the Border Patrol agents are being are being treated. Uh, as federal employees, as defenders of our country, uh, it's it's disgusting. Uh, we then have uh, Mr. Matt O'Brien. He is our the last uh, our last uh, guest uh, today. Matt O'Brien is director 
of Investigations for the Immigration Reform Law Institute in Washington, D.C. Matt is really, really a key because he is, uh, you're going to want to hear from him because he is right there uh, in the battle against the uh, uh, bending of laws, the ignoring of laws by the uh, Biden administration in Washington, D.C. He's going to give us as well a uh, take on what he sees uh, is going to happen in the next few uh, months uh, after the election. He's also going to give us also his take on what was happening with the, with the uh, politics uh, at the at uh, at the Border Patrol chief's office and uh, what may happen now uh, that the position is vacated. So, my friends, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us as usual. Uh, please. Uh, once again, let me um, uh, state that we are that our contract with the with the uh, once again George Rodriguez El Conservador talking to you from San Antonio. Welcome to the show. Howdy, howdy, howdy! Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez El Conservador talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas, and uh, we've got our good friend Mr. Brent Smith, who is the uh, attorney for Kenny County. Now, uh, I consider. Kenny County to be uh, at the front line of the border crisis, as well as Brent Smith. Uh, I think he was the catalyst. He is the person that uh, started pushing the whole problem into the public's eye, into the at least to the to the forefront here in uh, in Texas, getting politicians to focus on it. So, uh, Brent, welcome to the show. Thank you uh, for taking time with us. Let me ask you about two things, my friend. <clears throat> Let me ask you first of all uh, what you think the ramifications are of this past election, particularly with Biden saying that nothing's going to change, that he's not going to change any policies. What are your thoughts? You know, uh, George, thank you for having me on again. I think what the election showed is, you know, the red states that were presently red became redder, and some of the states that you know were leading Democrat became somewhat bluer, and. I think with Biden stating that he's not going to change anything, there's going to be a test to those states that are red, you know, and have more conservative values than a Republican. They got to buckle up because the administration that's in power right now, there's going to be a lot of things come down the pipeline that states have to stand up against and, you know, claim their state sovereignty and refuse anything unconstitutional. And I think it's going to be a test of, of our state's medal to see what happens with that. Now you've been pushing uh, that uh, the st- that the state of Texas enact something I- I- enact a portion of the Constitution to defend its citizens. Tell us about that. Yeah, um, it's under Article One and the Texas Constitution. You know what it is is and it's called it's sometimes called the uh, the Compact. And states prior to entering the Union had the right to you know self defense in their own to secure their own borders. And when they joined the Union. Um, and, and basically wrote the Constitution and came up and agreed upon it, one thing they reserved to themselves is the right to defend their own borders if they're ever invaded or threatened, threatened with imminent harm. It gave the governors a way to um, protect their own state if the federal government didn't under the Guarantee Clause. So it, it's kind of like break the glass in case of emergency type provision. And that's what the governor is, is speaking about when he talks about Article One. Now, uh, the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott, has declared this past week, has declared an invasion. What do you think is going to come out of that? Well, you know, it's, I'm glad he's acknowledging that there's an invasion on the border. And, and from what I can tell, looking at the uh, official letter, he did declare an invasion and invoked those Article One powers. Um, from what, where I stand is, is I think it's a good step in the right direction. But what's really going to determine everything, George, is what actions he's going to follow with it. That's, I mean, you can declare something on paper but not follow through, and it's meaningless. He's invoked that authority to secure Texas's border and end this nightmare every Texan is living through right now. But it's all going to depend on what actions he follows up to do that with. And, and I mean, since you've been at the front, at the forefront, uh, there in Kenny County, I mean, since you're on the front lines, what actions do you think should be invoked? You know, I think at first what he needs to do is, is contact and coordinate with other states that, that have the same feeling on uh, wanting a secure border like Florida, Georgia, you know, things, states like that, and coordinate a uniform effort 
to repel the invasion on the border, to not allow the cartels to have operational control of the, of the U.S. side, and at the same time try to negotiate with Mexico to get them to take control from the cartels on their side. Um, you know, Mexico is going to be a, a necessary participant in all of this to really secure the border. But the first things first, you have to secure our side and stop the huge amounts of fentanyl coming through, poisoning Americans, killing 300 a day. And what it comes down to is for politicians is how many deaths are acceptable? It, you know, how many more thousand do you need to die before you do something? And, you know, this is a, a it's an unacceptable circumstance we're living in right now. And so what I think he needs to do is plan and coordinate this well with other states to get enough people on the border or, or you know, technology or whatever we need to protect Texans, not only Texans, but the U.S. itself. So I, that's what I would do is first try to coordinate with states and come up with a very good plan. Now, one of the criticisms immediately that uh, is is uh, given this whole plan is uh, that they that the state of Texas would not be able to deport uh, illegal aliens. However, he can put them on a bus and send them to Chicago, correct? Well, you know, I, I think people have a misconception of the Article One provision. It has nothing at all to do with immigration. Nothing at all to do with immigration. It's about protecting Texans, whether whether they're U.S. citizens from here or or Mexican citizens, Hondurans, whatever is a threat to Texas and its borders can be stopped under Article One once it's invoked. It has nothing to do whether what citizenship they are. Gotcha. And it has more, everything to do with the cartels. That's that's the underlying catalyst in all of this, George, is so, cartels. So the focus would be the crime. The focus would be the criminals, the cartels. Correct. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that's the big misunderstanding that a lot of people have, is that they yeah. think that you're, you're talking about deporting people, but you're talking about about fighting the crime, the smuggling, both human and, uh, and, and uh, fentanyl. Right. I mean, the immigration issue is just a piece of the cartel puzzle. It's not it's not the sole issue. It's one of the things the cartels use to smuggle drugs and human trafficking through the open border. Um, if everyone's focused on immigration, they're missing the big picture. It's not just immigration. It's cartels and everything that comes with it. You got it. Well, my friend, I, you know, uh, in looking into the future, do you, what do you see uh, in the in the coming year? Well, you know, you know, it, it all depends on Governor Abbott at this point. I think, you know, we can safely assume that Biden is not, like he said, he's not changing anything. So we know the status quo from the federal government is going to remain in place. All right. So the only other option we have is a state governor, which is Governor Abbott. That's the solution that we have to look at. So everything comes back to him, George. Um, his actions that he takes now, and I, in my belief, will either save or doom Texas in the near future. And also the legislature's upcoming session is going to be vital, probably the most important one that we'll ever see. You got it. You got it. My friend, anything else you'd like to, to add before we let you go? You know, I don't believe so. I mean, I just, I again, I encourage everyone listening to this to contact their, uh, the governor and also their legislator. Because right now, you know, usually the legislature is, is almost powerless to do things when they're not in session. You know, they, they wish they could do this or that, but if they're not in session, there's a, not a lot they can do. But starting in January... They're back at the table. So call your local, you know, congressmen, your, your legislators, and get them to the table to get them on our side and get something done about this border. You got it. Once again, my friends, we've been talking with our good friend, Mr. Brent Smith, who is the attorney, the county attorney for Kenny County. Uh, he has been a leader in this whole border crisis issue. Thank you very much, Brent, for taking time with us. You stay safe down there. Thank you, George. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Jose Salazar. He is a um, Webb County, which is Laredo, right on the border, Webb County Republican activist. And I wanted to reach out to him before, because... I want to uh, find out what happened because we were had we had such high hopes for uh, a red wave in South Texas, and uh, Laredo was one of the places that kind of disappointed us. And uh, we want to uh, get uh, your your take on what happened, Jose. Welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. What was the result, and wh why do you think it happened that way? 
Thank you for having me, George. Uh, like in many places that we expected the red wave, uh, it, it didn't materialize. So it, it it really it really disappointed us. Uh, we had uh, we had about seven candidates that area candidates, I guess you could say, that we were voting on. Uh, you know, in the major races, you know, uh, um, that includes our Webb County government. Uh, we had some some positions that we had Republicans actually running there. Uh, we had uh, also uh, our con- congressional district uh, at 28 uh, that we had a candidate there. We had our state representative for District 42, Senate uh, uh, District uh, 21. So out of all those races, the only one that that, that we voted on that won uh, was a, a, a the uh, the judge uh, uh, Ms. Valenzuela she she just barely barely hung on to her position uh, the for justice of fourth court of appeals uh, district case seven uh, she won the, the, her district uh, fifty percent to forty nine percent so she barely won that one but that was the only thing that we had a, a, a chance to hang our hat on uh, what happened well. Uh, we we didn't have the, obviously the red wave. We didn't. I think George that what happened was that um, we it, the party tried to cement it the 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 the, the Republican vote here in Webb, but we there was not a lot of outreach done to reach out to the Webb Democrats. Uh, obviously, we're outnumbered when it comes to people who vote Democrat. Uh, compared to people who vote Republican. And when we're only talking to Republicans, we're never going to change the equation. We're never going to change. Everybody says, well, do the math, do the math. It's never going to happen. No, we're never going to change the math if, if only Web County Republicans are talking to Web County Republicans. At one point, George, we need to go out venture and talk to Democrats. We need to speak to them in Spanish for a lot of these people. Yeah. Uh, they have conservative values, but we never reach out to them, and that's where we—that's our stumbling block. We don't reach out to them enough. We we may have, but you're talking about very little. For 2024 presidential election, we should be. I would allow them one week to rest after the election, and then you start planning, uh, uh, reaching out, including not only cementing the vote. But also reaching out to to Democrats because you need you need some independence and you need the Democrats. Yep, I, I hear that all over South Texas. Yesterday, I, I attended a uh, a meeting here in San Antonio where the same issue, the same thing was was discussed that we keep preaching to the choir, but we don't uh, go out and do missionary work, so to speak, to bring new people in. And uh, and 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 you tell me if this is correct, but I hear a lot of folks who, when they do outreach and you do bring somebody in, there's a lot of people inside the Republican Party that reject them because they're not Republican enough. Well, you know, if you're bringing somebody in for the first time, of course they're not going to be Republican enough, correct? That is correct. That is correct. Uh, we, we need to have an open mind. We need to know. I, I think, George, I think what we, what we do wrong, George, is we start talking red wave. We start talking turning people red. I think it's wrong. I don't. I don't want to turn people into anything. I, I, I want them to vote Republican. What I want them to do is vote Republican. They don't. In other words, Democrats do not, and Independents do not have to turn Republican. They just have to vote Republican. Don't yeah. vote Democrat because Democrat. And, and I think here's another thing that I think we do very wrong. George, we don't do a good job. That's probably better a choice of words. We don't do a good job of saying these are horrible policies by the Democrats, and this is the way we want we're going to fix it. And something simple, short, and to the point, so that people can remember. If we're always criticizing Biden, you know, well, O'Rourke is not Biden. Henry Cuellar is not Biden. How can we win these races if we're just criticizing Biden and the Biden administration? We have to put this label on the Democratic Party. On the local, they are yeah, on the local level. We don't, and we don't do that very well. The other thing I think that we don't do very well, George, is we, we being that, that the Web County Democrat Party, and I'm speaking for my county, I can't speak for other counties, but only for mine, we don't do a very good job of recruiting more 
Web County Democrats. Yeah. We, they leave it up to a handful of people to try and do everything, and and then we don't go talk to Democrats, and, and we also don't engage a lot in local in local issues. If, I think if we would have a bigger footprint in our county if we inject ourselves into city council. Yes. There's a lot of activism and wokeism on Laredo City Council, yep. but we don't inject ourselves into that. There's a lot of uh, 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 also wokeism and, and liberalism, and not as much, but there still is in the Webb County government, but we don't inject ourselves in that. So we only th- we're only thinking state and national. Right. And and all you know the saying George you know the saying all politics is local correct and and we miss that boat correct let me ask you also about this because one of the things that we've noticed uh, is um, the disconnect that people have that many many voters have the disconnect between the policies that are enacted by uh, local liberals and the problems that occur locally they have a hard time understand because the media doesn't connect them because the media says well you know we've got a crime problem but they don't say that they've got a crime problem because you've got a da that's releasing people or that you've got uh, an inflation problem but they don't say that it's an inflation problem because you've got people that are uh, anti-energy uh that kind of stuff do you see that Oh, George, you hit the nail on the head. Just this morning, I was reading one of the, the local the, the local newspaper, Laredo Morning Times, and uh, the, the officials are addressing the fentanyl problem here on the border. You have the person who is uh, in charge of the health department. You have the uh, uh, one of the city councilmen who speaks. Uh, uh, a person who is involved in Pillar. It's it's like a, a uh, an organization that helps with like. Uh, health issues, mental health issues or, or social issues uh, uh, and, and they're all discussing how horrible the, over, the, uh, the increase in overdoses is here in Laredo but none of these people blame the open border none of these people talk about the open border how drugs are coming in to this nation not not only to, to the uh, you know the entire nation but our own hometown and they fail to address it george and and here is the perfect opportunity for for the chair of the republican party to say hey you're not you're ignoring the border all this is happening because of the border and you're ignoring it, but this is not happening. There's no disconnect. Another thing, let me give you another example. The same paper, <laughs> the Radio Morning Times. I wrote what I thought was a pretty good letter, if I do say so myself, without patting myself on the back, uh, about about all the lies and every every occasion that that Democrats and the and the media and big tech were wrong and lied about. Uh, and I wrote, I sent this in before the election. Well, leading up to the to the election, two days before. They, on, on the editorial page, they just ran anti-Republican editorials on both days leading up to the election. Wow. They completely left it out. So, you know, it's horrible that we need the media, but at the same time, the media kind of shuns us and, and, and picks their narratives here and there. Right. And But it would be a good a, a, a good starting point to say, hey, let me write a letter to the editor. You're not addressing this. You're not addressing, you know, you're not addressing the border. You're pretending that the fentanyl just magically appeared on the border without saying where it came from or why it came so easily to the border. That's right. That's exactly right. I mean, uh, it, it's going to be very difficult to uh, discuss issues if the issues that are being discussed are being uh, are being twisted and 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 uh, changed to fit a narrative, to fit a political narrative, it makes it very very difficult. Now, yeah, and they're being buried. Uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. Now, uh, here in the closing moments, where do you think we need to go? I mean, you you've mentioned several things. Do you think that there's hope for twenty twenty four? Yes, there there is hope for 2024. Let, let, let me kind of uh, give you a, a few numbers, and I hate to bore people with numbers, but um, when I was looking at, at the results here in the Webb County, and again, I'm, I'm talking about my little corner of the world. That's the one that I know. I was looking at the at the race between Greg Abbott and Beto O'Rourke. The the uh, the votes for Beto for Greg Abbott were sixteen thousand. Uh, and for Beto O'Rourke, 27,000. That's expected because it's a Democrat place. However, when you look at the votes for Cassie Garcia, Cassie Garcia got 13,000 votes. Yet in Webb County, 
Greg Abbott got 16,000 votes. Wow. 3,000 Cuellar Republicans. 3,000 Why do they vote like this? Yes. They vote like this because they're scared of socialism. Those are the ones who ran to, to vote in the, in the Democrat primary for Henry Cuellar, afraid of Jessica Cisneros. But when it comes to the conservative and the and and the and the and and, and the socialist, they will flock to the conservative, and that's what I was. I wanted. I actually wanted Jessica Cisneros to win because then those Cuellar Republicans would go and vote for Cassie because they, they again they were afraid of socialism. Right. But I think that we shoot ourselves in the foot when we have that happen. And what would it take to turn Webb County around? Well, this time. Uh, 46,000 people voted in, in the election. And if we want to get 50%, George, here in Webb, we need 6,593 additional votes. Wow. We can only start that. We can only start that if we start peeing away independents and Democrats. Yeah. That's the only way that we can start. And we, and we need to start having that conversation. We with need Democrats. to bring them. We need to bring them. We need to appeal to them. That's all there is to it. Yes. Yes, correct. Well, let me tell you, Jose, thank you so much for taking time to be with us today. Uh, it, it's really, it's really, really enlightening. And I'll say that really with all sincerity. It's very enlightening to hear you talk and, and, and discuss the, the election. I thank you very much for taking time to be with us today. today. Thank you so much, buddy, for having me. Have a happy Thanksgiving. You got it. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. And we've got our good friend, Mr. Art Del Cueto. He is the um, he is on the Border Patrol Council, on the National Border Patrol Council. And uh, I wanted to get him on because he can give us uh, an idea of what to expect now after the election. Um, Art, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. No, first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for for giving me my title. I'll tell you what's funny. I was on uh, on a national news uh, show yesterday, and for whatever reason, the host said former vice president of the National Border Patrol Council, and I said, "Man, did, did she hear something I didn't hear?" <laughs> yep, I've been in situations like that. <laughs> <laughs> so that was different. Uh, but thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure uh, to be on your show because, you know, I think it's one of the few. People think there's a lot, but no, it's, you're one of the few out there that is actually saying the truth of what's happening without an agenda. Just You want just people to know the truth? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, every I can't drive down to the border anymore without getting run off the road by a chase or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's getting, it's getting hectic. It is. Uh, all right, let me ask you. I mean, now that with the election is over, uh, almost immediately after the election, Biden had, uh, announced that nothing was going to change, that no policies were going to change, everything was the, was the same. What, um, what do you see happening on the border with our policies? Look, that that is a tell-all sign. That's I'll tell you what he, he's he's at least being honest on that end, right? That is a tell-all sign that I've been telling people this entire time. Look, nothing's going to change until you get somebody else in the White House. That's just I mean he's got the power to executive to do executive orders. He's got the power to veto. He's got he's 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 you know he's got it in his hands to do things the way he wants to do them and uh, obviously it's going to take a group of individuals that can prevent things from getting to certain steps i think we can we can stop it from where it's at but then i don't know you know there was an announcement yesterday that title 42 would go away uh with that going away that's what's going to happen there is it's going to be a free-for-all for anyone to want to claim asylum to just come into the United States, claim it, and get released. And then and then you had Commissioner uh, Magnus that was asked to resign. He refused to resign. And then 24 hours later, he went ahead and resigned anyway. So uh, I think it falls – that falls on, on, on President Biden. It falls on uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. And it falls on, you know, uh, Mr. Mayorkas – because he's been saying this entire time, there's nothing wrong on the border. The border's not out of control. 
but then he turns around and they they do what they can to get rid of uh, Chief Magnus. I call him Chief Magnus because he was here in Tucson as the chief of police for a long time. I am not a fan of Chief Magnus, but I think now Mayorkas needs to either come up and admit that he was wrong this entire time for saying that uh, that the border is secure, or else why did you get rid of Magnus? Yeah, the politics that is happening right now with Magnus up in Washington is very, very curious and confusing to us. Uh, you know, we we, uh, we saw a man who was very, very liberal, in my opinion, on his police force policies, um, get nominated, and then when he gets up here, uh, up there to, to Washington, apparently maybe he's not even, he's not liberal enough for what their, their policies want. I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know what the heck's going on. No, I, you're right. I don't know what happened there. I, I do know that a couple months ago there was some news report that came out saying that he was very disengaged. I think, and, and, and I mean, I don't even know how true that is, but they even said that perhaps he would fall asleep in some of the meetings. Oh, my gosh. You know, I was, yeah, I was asked about that. I was asked, I said, hey, can you make a comment? I said, I can't make a comment because that somebody else is saying it. I don't know if it's true. I will tell you. Because I have the chief here. Uh, we we lost you for a few moments. <laughs> yeah, we lost you for a few moments there. Can you repeat that once oh. again? Yeah. So so I have friends in, in with the Tucson Police Department, and they had told me, you know, that they did not have a good time when he was when the morale was down. So when I get told. Can you make a comment? We're hearing he was sleeping on the job. My comment was, leave him alone. Let him sleep. He can't hurt anything if he's sleeping. Don't <laughs> yeah. wake him up. Yep, because it's the guys that are woke up that are, that are causing the problems right now. <clears throat> give us give us an idea of the numbers that we're looking at right now, my friend. Right now, it's, it's across the board. We're still seeing the large groups that come up. Obviously, out there in Texas, in your neck of the woods, you know, that's that. You know, a constant flow groups. Uh, I think, and, and we still have, we're still seeing the differences from one sector to another. There's a lot of differences. Uh, in Texas, they do turn themselves in. They realize that all they have to do is say that they're claiming asylum and they will get released in the United States. Uh, out here in the Tucson sector, uh, you know, Tucson sector is weird. And I'm going to tell you why. Even when everyone was being allowed to claim asylum, we still had gotaways and runners. So what that tells me is that you're having a large quantity of individuals in the Tucson sector that perhaps have more of a criminal background or they have a lot more devious intentions as they're entering the United States. And, and you got to remember, this, this area out here is still very much run by the Sinaloa cartel. And, uh, you know, the majority of their, their heroin and their methamphetamines and their uh, fentanyl brought into the country out here in this area. You know, that, that's very, very, and that's been something that's been very interesting to all of us is why at different times there are uh, people that uh, are coming in that just introduce themselves while there are others that are runaways, like in the Tucson area. And uh, the only thing that, again, that I can think of is that some of them are, you know, they're trying, they're avoiding uh, capture or they're avoiding contact for a good reason. Correct. And at the same time, they do it to distract agents. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's been uh, always their, their, their MO is to try to distract agents from certain areas as much as they can so they can end up bringing their product across. You know, the, the drug cartels, they're the ones that handle everything. They're the ones that tell people, hey, you're going to cross in this area or you're not going to cross in this area. They're the ones that say all that uh, in order so they can, you know, operationally bring in product in different areas. Now, uh, we have seen lately a lot of ads for hiring uh, Border Patrol Um What's that look like? Right. I mean, is that uh, is that reality or is that just uh, wishful thinking? Well, I, I don't know what how they've how they've structured the uh, the polygraph. Remember, that was the big issue before was the right. polygraph. 
Uh, I, I was very outspoken about the polygraph. Some of the people that do the polygraph even reached out to me and said I was being unfair. And I said, well, if I'm being unfair, show me the statistics, right? right. Um, one of their big issues was, you know, you go through the polygraph testing and it, there was a lot of inconclusives and they wouldn't hire people. And it was almost, uh, it almost seemed like they wanted to make you think they were going to hire more. But they were going out of their way to just say, well, we don't have good candidates, so that's why we haven't hired them. Uh, so it made it difficult for a lot of young men and women that were trying to pursue a career in law enforcement that would say, well, why would I go through the Border Patrol process when you know they're going to turn around and I'm going to get that black ball of not having passed a polygraph? Uh, so that was, that was one of the big hurdles that we constantly saw. Uh, as of right now, I've seen um, the areas that are hiring, and it is just uh, – it, it's – it's concerning because, again, you know, as I've said, you know, I think we need to distribute them uh, in a lot of different places. You, you can't ignore the northern border. That's that's something that you cannot ignore. Uh, but at the same time, uh, out here in Tucson, when you're seeing that it's the number one area in the country for gotaways and, and you don't see Tucson as a priority of hiring more agents, that's... I mean, it makes you wonder. I mean, are these people really paying attention to what's going on? Yeah. I mean, when when they're hiring as many, or or they claim they're going to hire as many IRS agents, while at the same time the border is out of control, they could be hiring border patrol agents. A lot of folks are uh, are asking, you know, where are the priorities on this uh, on this administration? Correct. Even the processing coordinators, you know, they hired more processing coordinators. I was just at the Tucson detention facility, uh, and you know, all all three pods where they have the individuals that have been detained were were completely full, and I saw one processing coordinator. Okay, one processing coordinator. Wow. In the entire Tucson sector, and 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 every single agent was in there having to do everything else. So what does that do? It leaves a lot of gaps on our on our borders. What about what about the budget? <laughs> The upcoming budget for um, for the for the border patrol. Um, now that uh, the, a Republican Congress supposedly is going to take over, do you think that uh, the border patrol will get more money, or there will be asked more questions about the 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 uh, use of the money? No, I, I, that's a, that's a valid question. We're going to wait and see what they come up with. But I think most importantly, people need to understand that the money needs to be placed in the right area. You, you can completely fill the entire southwest border and the northern border with drones and sensors and airplanes and everything you want to do. But all that's going to do is it's going to give you it's going to it's going to depress you even more because all that's going to do is tell you who's coming and who's getting away. Uh-huh. What you need is the boots on the ground and people that are actually able to go out there and and, and make the arrest. That's correct. Yeah, that's true. That's very, very true. Art, thank you very much for taking time to be with us as usual. We'll be back in contact again with you because um, obviously this this situation is not going to uh, go away. And I also want to ask about, um, you know, what... uh, what can be done in the future so uh let's get you on maybe next week again and we'll chat, chat a little bit more as this as this uh, that, unfolds that, that'll be fantastic i'm always available thank you you got it once again my friends we've been chatting with our good friend mr art del cueto who is uh the uh, vp for the border patrol council the national border patrol council thank you very much art thank well, you once again my friends george rodriguez and Conceredo, talking to you from san antonio Howdy, howdy, howdy. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio, deep in the heart of South Texas. And uh, we've got our good friend, Mr. Matt O'Brien, who is the director of, investiga- of investigations and for the um, Immigration, Re- Immigration Reform Law Institute in Washington, D.C. And um, we wanted to get Matt on here because... Uh, Matt, some of us are kind of confused as to what's going on at the depart at uh, uh, the Border Patrol office in D.C. at the main with the chief. We know that he was uh, uh, dismissed, or that he was told that he would needed he needed to go. He didn't want to go, and then he did go. So, what is going on? What happened? Who, who is this guy? What's that all about? Well, George, I think that the Biden administration found somebody who was uh, finally too radical even for it. Um, so Chris Magnus was the uh, the uh, head of Customs and Border Protection, 
Uh, nobody could figure out why he was hired. He had zero immigration experience, uh, no experience relevant to running a national security agency with a multi-billion dollar budget. Uh, he had run mid-sized police departments uh, before that. And uh, he was hired basically because he was a, a uh, extreme radical activist uh, that the Biden administration wanted uh, on its team in order to open the border. Wow. So, I mean, this guy was even more radical. I mean, I, I know that uh, that uh, there were some folks that had uh, some big um, reservations about him because of his behavior as a police chief when he was the chief in Tucson. But uh, was he, I mean, how incompetent, I don't know how, if you can measure that in, in, in this administration, if it's incompetence or sometimes just willful desire to not do their job, uh, how bad was it? Well, I think this guy had a combination of both. So Early had done an investigation on him uh, beforehand and, and found that there were some serious concerns. So in effect, this guy wasn't a real cop. He was a radical activist in a uniform. Um, he uh, held signs supporting BLM and Antifa protesters at protests while he was on duty and in uniform. And they followed up by buying uh, protesters pizza and of course there's no indication that he ever treated his own officers uh with the, the same kind of care and concern um while he was a police chief he actively stymied cooperation with ice uh he was a fan of dangerous dangerous sanctuary policies that just promote illegal alien crime and he openly criticized ice in a series of op-eds and uh, public comments that he made via social media uh, and he also appeared to care so little about his job at CBP uh, that he had a record uh, that he was called on by other Border Patrol leaders in the Border Patrol Union of missing key meetings about the border and falling asleep during meetings. And and that's a serious problem for this guy because he was not an immigration guy. He didn't come up through the ranks in Homeland Security or, you know, the Border Patrol specifically. So, I mean, this guy obviously not... It, was showing disdain as well for for the for the position by falling asleep for crying out loud uh any idea yeah, who's going to follow him now <laughs> uh we're not sure who's going to follow him he definitely was showing disdain and i think he showed disdain for the hard-working men and women of the border patrol who put their life in risk every day not just to protect the united states but to rescue uh people who are you know ill-advisedly attempting to migrate wind up uh stranded in the desert and uh i think what happened here is that, that the biden administration put him on thinking that he was going to pull an alley mayorkas and uh and create a public uh persona of being concerned about the border and attempting to accomplish things on the border but then when he started missing meetings and falling asleep it, it became apparent even to the biden administration that this is not somebody who is going to inspire border patrol agents and cbp officers to get up and go to work in the morning and they're having enough morale problems as it is already because all of these people who signed up to protect the american public are now being turned into a you know, over-glorified babysitting service for illegal aliens. It's just, as you know, because you're there, it's just chaos on the border right now. It really, truly is. I mean, uh, you know, there's there's thousands coming across. I mean, you know, they come across in groups of hundreds. I remember when I worked uh, in the Reagan administration in, the, in, in immigration, you know, we used to be concerned about people being caught in, you know, in groups of 10. And now, you know, you see them in hundreds. I mean, it's it's just... It's just incredible. What about this whole situation with the um, with the alleged whipping of Haitians? What has ever happened to that? I know that that they were, uh, I, I mean, the agents were completely almost cleared of it. But then within the uh, within Homeland Security, they were going to uh, do something or or act on it in some form or fashion. Uh, was that this? Uh, was that McManus as well doing that? Well, you know, that was Ellen Mayorkas. Uh, there was uh, some emails that came to light, um, it, you know, well after Mayorkas went, uh, went on the media and criticized these agents um, that showed that before he went to the meeting where he accused the Border Patrol agents of whipping Haitian migrants, Ellen Mayorkas had been informed um, 
by the videographer who took the video, as well as by other law enforcement officers that were on the scene, uh, these Border Patrol agents were controlling their horses. They weren't whipping anyone. Uh, yet knowing that, he went out and, and accused his own officers from the Department of Homeland Security of engaging in a human rights violation. And, you know, this reinforces a point that I have said to many people in the media. I worked with Ali Mayorkas. He is not a nice human being. He is an utterly immoral, totally political actor. He doesn't care about the truth. What he cares about is driving a narrative that works for his party's agenda. And uh, he's never held accountable for these kind of things, which is unfortunate. And he just uh, forgets. Uh, the lies that he tells and moves on to the next one. It's an unfortunate situation. And, and, and I think Magnus was part of that cabal of people that the Biden administration was trying to put in charge of the Department of Homeland Security so they could kneecap it. And Magnus just turned out to be too embarrassing in his incompetence for even the Biden administration to leave him in place. That's incredible. That is, that is, that is truly, truly sad. So in, in your role of investigations, what what are you seeing uh, across the board in this in this situation with this border crisis? Well, we're seeing that the Biden administration is talking out of both sides of its mouth, trying to cover up what it's doing. We're also seeing that uh, you know you have craziness. Uh, the the, the Bayshore County Sheriff um, is. Uh, trying to pursue criminal investigations against Ron DeSantis because he put uh, illegal aliens on a charter flight and sent them to a resort community in Martha's Vineyard. I mean, calling this a human rights violation is absurd. I grew up in Massachusetts. I've never been to Martha's Vineyard because it's too expensive. (laughs) That's amazing. Yes, you know, what we've criticized here in San Antonio, we have criticized uh, the sheriff uh, here in here in, uh, in in Bear County about that, you know that instead of investigating what's going on in in Martha's Vineyard, he ought to investigate how many criminals there are that are being brought into the city, uh, you know, to in in the name of uh, of resettlement or whatever they call it. Well, and he didn't seem very concerned that that fifty three uh, people being smuggled across the border died in in a. Uh, a semi-truck when they were abandoned uh, in his county. Um, you know, that was something that happened, as I understand it, within the jurisdiction of San Antonio Police Department. But you would think in a large border county in Texas that the sheriff would want to have some part of that or would at least convene some kind of a task force to make sure that, that didn't happen in another part of his county. But that doesn't appear to be the case. It was more politically expedient uh, to try and, and pursue bogus criminal investigations uh, I, I, you know, against another state's governor uh, for doing something that is not prohibited by the law at all. True, uh, you know <clears throat> how many people how many people are being investigated at the local level nowadays? You know when they resettle when the, when a nonprofit begins to resettle some of these illegal aliens that have crossed. Uh, are, are they being checked again as to whether or not they've kind of any kind of of uh, of uh, criminal record or whether or not they might be on a terrorist list or anything? I mean, so many of them. Are caught, but uh, I would venture to say that many more are being are, are being ignored. I, I don't think they're being vetted uh, at all at a state and local level. Uh, the ACLU and other organizations have, uh, you know, put out in in the the public eye this narrative that somehow, if you're state and local law enforcement entity, you have no authority to be involved in anything immigration oriented at all, and that if you do you're somehow engaging in a civil rights violation. So you have a lot of uh, police chiefs and sheriffs uh, with a lot of difficult things on their hands who don't want to take on these organizations and get sued. Um, you know, and if you're in some place like the Ninth Circuit, there's no guarantee that you're going to prevail in a lawsuit. So this, this is uh, intimidation and terrorization of local law enforcement so that they don't get involved in these things. Uh, you certainly do have a large number of, uh, of very uh, competent and upstanding sheriffs in particular who have pushed back against this. Uh, as you know from, uh, from interviewing uh, a number of us here at Fair and Early, we have uh, a group that works with the National Sheriffs Association and with a group of sheriffs who are concerned about the immigration problems. And 
uh, we're very proud of those people for pushing back uh, against uh, the people who seem to uh, believe that uh, illegal aliens are not engaged in any type of crime. But the fact is that when illegal immigration increases in communities, it increases crime along with it. And anybody that lives in a border county knows this. That's exactly right. Matt, thank you very, very much for taking time to be with us today. We've been speaking with Mr. Matt O'Brien, Director of Investigations at uh, the Immigration and Reform Law Institute. Matt, we will be back in touch, I'm sure, because this border crisis doesn't seem to be going away. Thank you, George. It's always a pleasure. Thank you. Once again, George Rodriguez, El Conservador. All righty, folks. Thank you very, very much for being with us today. George Rodriguez, once again, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio. Let me remind everyone... Uh, again, that our contract with the, the station uh, ends on December the 31st, and we are desperately, we are looking for sponsors, we are looking for donors. Uh, we are looking for sponsors that will be on our show, uh, or that ad- advertise on our show, should I say, and not only on our show, but any time that I would go out and speak, uh, any time that I go out and uh, do a presentation, uh, your logo, your company would accom- would go with me. And uh, I mean, your uh, an ad about your company would go with me. So you would get great exposure, a lot of exposure, because I do a lot of speaking. I do a lot of uh, public um, events, as well as, my friends, our show is, uh, is published uh, as a podcast na- nationwide. So you not only are going to get local... Uh, you're not only going to get local airing and local reviews, but you're also going to get national as well. So if you're if you're willing to be a sponsor, please contact our our, our station or contact me through um, through email or through uh, the uh, <coughs> through through uh, Twitter or whichever way you can in, in social media, and let's talk about it. Also, my friends, we have a five hundred one c three, which means that you can donate. Uh, whatever you can. Small donations are more than welcomed. We are a radio station, or should I say a radio program of the people, so we hope that the people will support us. Um, that uh, This 501c3, uh, you can donate your tax-deductible uh, donations to He's Alive Ministries uh, at 6430 Green Apple here in San Antonio, 78233. Once again, you can donate to El Conservador, care of He's Alive Ministries at 6430 Green Apple here in San Antonio, 78233. My friends, once again, thank you very, very much for joining us today. We, we, we appreciate your support. Stay strong, stay patriotic, and be thankful to the Lord. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.